Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Insightful Dentist, an original podcast series produced by North Carolina Services for Dentistry, a subsidiary of the North Carolina Dental Society. I'm Duncan Jennings. Our guest today is Ben Collier, VP of South State Bank and Director of Practice Finance. Ben joined South State in 2016 as a private banker. He has 21 years of experience in banking and has focused on the financial needs of the healthcare industry for the last 15 years. Ben is a graduate of Barton College and holds the designation of Certified Medical Practice Executive from the American College of Medical Practice Executives. He's an active member of Medical Group Management Association and an active supporter of local, state, and national dental society. He also organizes and participates in local funding and fundraising events to support North Carolina Missions of Mercy and Wake Smiles, which provide free dental care to those in need. Ben has been a resident of North Carolina his entire life, growing up just outside Wendell, and has lived in Raleigh for the last 15 years. Ben enjoys spending time with his son, Brixton, and some other activities that we'll talk about in just a second. Ben, really thrilled to kick off our first episode with you, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you as we've worked together over the last almost five years now. For those dentists and those folks listening to the podcast that haven't met you, I've got a lightning round of small talk questions to ask you. So to get started, here are the questions. When you are able to squeeze out some free time, and I know it's hard, what do you do just for you? Family and I have a place up at Lake Gaston's. We get up there as often as possible. And really, we just, summertime, it's anything water sports that we can do. And then when it's not in the summertime, it's been a lot of time around the fire pit to join each other's company and enjoy nature. And then when we're, not at the lake, I do still trade in what's called Krav Maga, which is an Israeli mixed martial arts. That's a full mind-body kind of spirit training that I do just to keep my head on straight and to make sure that the stress levels are contained. That's great. You can't tell, but I've really gotten back into weightlifting and for the exact same reasons, which is to do that. Of course, doesn't sync up very well with my golf game, but you play golf with me, you know what that looks like anyways. What's one song you listen to get yourself fired up? Little Thing by ACDC. Ah, that's fantastic. But yeah, when I really have to get myself going, I'm an Eminem guy, I have to admit. Wouldn't listen to it normally, but when I really got to get, get fired up, that's what I'd put in. What was your first concert? Metallica Sanatorium Tour in the Midnight. Nice. Yeah, I... I didn't start going to concerts till really late. I was actually in college, and a girl I knew from my freshman year said, if you'll help me paint my loft, I've got tickets to James Taylor. So we went to the a group of us, went to the Dean Dome to see James Taylor at Chapel Hill. So that was pretty late compared to most people for their first concert. So if you listen to any other podcasts, which ones might be your favorite? Well, I'm not on the road a lot. I live really close to my office. I haven't really gotten into podcasts too much, but I do a tremendous amount of reading. It's a big part of my job is research. I would say I spend probably two to three hours a day reading dental economic articles, anything dental related. I've been using a lot of reading a lot of articles produced by the ADA, one of their new initiatives. And then there's a good website called Dental Economics that I've subscribed to, I get a lot of good information from that. I don't listen. I, I'm old-fashioned. I still like to read with my eyes. Totally get that. Totally understand. Yeah, I was inspired by Tarun Agarwal 
Dr. T-Bone is on our board, but he's got several podcasts out there and to start this one, but I'm same thing. I'm a big audible guy. So when I'm driving long drives, a lot of times I'll listen to something that's business related on audible to try to stay on top of things as best I can. All right, Ben, again, we're thrilled that you're our first guest on this podcast. We're excited about it. We're going to keep getting to know business professionals like yourself that help Dennis with their profession. And you're a big part of that in North Carolina. So we're thrilled to have you on there. So as you're out there talking to dentists, what do you think the biggest challenge that you see them facing is? I'm 100% in staffing. We're changing our staffing. Uh, I would argue that before COVID, we're already starting to see some of these issues. And, and it's not just the hygiene staff. It's just the office staff. It's even the associate dentist. Definitely, that's the, the biggest challenge that they're seeing today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I agree with you 100% that it was all happening before COVID. And COVID just exasperated it and had people start readjusting how far they're commuting and all those kind of things. And where they work and the benefit packages and all those things. Couldn't agree with you more consistently the biggest challenge that my team hears with the dentists are facing. What what are some ways from your experience and your background that dentists can offset that challenge of staffing? They have to invest in the benefits, right? You know, they've got all of our competitive benefits to their staff, retirement plans, health insurance. They've got to come up with ways for their practice to, to look a little different than maybe the average practice. And in order to offer these benefits, you've got to spend some money. It's an investment. But I think everyone would agree that as you gather and obtain top talent within your industry, that's going to translate into higher collections, higher revenue, more profitable. For me, it's cash flow management. And some of these bullet points I'm going to give you are not, they're not earth shattering. They're all kind of common sense, but it's just a lot of things that people don't make the time to do. Number one, merchant services. That's the process in which you're able to accept credit card and debit card payments into your practice. A lot of folks use merchant services through their patient software, which is fine because it, it communicates the transaction communication between the practice software and the accounting software is, is usually something people look into, but merchant services can be, that fee can be a really big cost to the practice. And, and a lot of folks don't realize how much it can affect things. Those pennies add up. So reviewing your merchant services contracts on a regular basis, I would recommend annually using business credit cards to extend your payables and taking advantage of the rewards. Larger businesses usually will take a credit card and they'll make all of their payments for their bills through the credit cards. So they can extend the time frame in which they have to pay those bills. So it adds sometimes another 30 or 45 days to the revenue cycle or to the expense cycle associated with the revenue. And it just allows you to be able to invest in things a little easier and control your cash flow better. They should be reviewing their fee schedule on at least an annual basis. There's a lot of companies out there and even CPA firms that are help with that. It can do analysis for you. Review your vendor relationships at least annually. You'd be surprised how many of these, even the folks that you get the, the gloves from and the little tissues in the office, whatever it is, whatever supply you're buying, review all those relationships annually. And then this is really simple, but a lot of folks don't do it. Review your practice expenses in detail on a monthly basis. Understand those expenses. Don't leave that up to the office manager or the CPA. Understand the expenses and look for ways to create more efficiency in your expenses in your practice. So you can free up some of that money to invest in the benefits, which I think would absolutely increase your output in terms of profitability. And the last bullet point is 
don't be afraid to use a lot of credit. There's a lot of practices that use lines of credits to fund the retirement plan contributions for their staff. It should be used short term. Usually you'll get to the end of the year. You've got to make a certain investment or a certain contribution into that retirement plan in order to maximize the benefit or to adhere to the requirements for the staff contributions. Use a lot of credit to do that. Banks are fine with that. And as long as you pay it back within a few months, that's a great way to ensure that you fund those benefits so you can retain the staff. No, those are all great suggestions. And I would say, although they are probably more common sense to you since you are in that space every day, there's got to be at least one of those that I think for our listeners, they're not consistently doing. And I think right now, more than ever, cash is king, right? So anything they can do to bump up that cash flow, it just helps them with their recruiting efforts for staff, retention efforts for staff, things that maybe before 2017, 2018, and certainly during COVID, people took for granted a lot of times. I think those are super suggestions and really appreciate you sharing those. When you're working with your clients who are interested in buying a practice, this is something you and I've talked about a good bit for the last five years. What are some things you recommend to the dentist who's interested in potentially buying an additional practice or a new practice? And so a lot of those conversations are around what, what do they think of all of them? So usually we talk about what the bank looks at in terms of underwriting that, that practice acquisition all because they have some time to prepare their personal balance sheet. Personal liquidity is key. The more personal liquidity you have, then let's define personal liquidity. That's cash, that's non-qualified or non-retirement investments into mutual funds, bonds, any kind of publicly traded investment. And it can also be cash value of life insurance, which a lot of folks don't realize that life insurance, there's term and then there's whole life and universal life. Term policies, there's no cash value. It's just a death benefit. But in the whole life, in the universal, you can build up cash values. And those can actually be nice supplements to your retirement. But that's for another conversation. So really, it's about building that liquidity. Whatever the practice purchase price is, usually banks are wanting to see about 10% in personal liquidity from the dentist involved. And a lot of folks just don't realize that. Credit score is important, usually over 700 or 720 credit score. But it's easy to make exceptions. That personal liquidity is a big deal. Also, understanding the practice cash flow, a big part of the bank's decision is cash flow, and they're going to look at the historical cash flow of the practice. So when you're going in and looking for that, especially if it's that first practice, really get a good understanding of how the doctor, the seller, is uh, paying themselves and really understand what expenses are voluntary and not voluntary so you can really get a handle of the cash flow. Outside of getting approved for the loan, to me, don't be afraid to look at rural practices. I think some of your rural practices are some of the best gold mines out there because there's not as much competition. You've got a very loyal patient base in most cases. And the cost of living is, is far less living in rural areas. And I know a lot of folks want to be close to the cities and, and all that fun stuff. But really, I, I think you can really make an incredibly good living and a great place to raise your family looking at rural areas. But if you're looking at metropolitan areas, it's all about the location. As you're looking at these practices, you want to understand, you know, how that practice gained its patience. So you can, the financials tell you some parts of the story, but they don't tell you the whole story. You want to be wary of practices where you see them spending large amounts of marketing 
And when you start to dig into the practice software and understand the patient base, you only see, you see that they're not seeing a large number of their patients more than once or twice. So maybe they have a lot of folks coming in for that initial appointment, but then they don't see that patient again for maybe two or three years, or maybe not at all. So what that tells you is that that practice is, is doing a good job of marketing to get new patients, but there's some reason why they're not able to retain those patients. That may be something that causes you not to want to buy the practice, but it also could be something that creates great potential. If you understand how to fix the problem that is causing the, the lack of patient retention. However, a lot of times these practices sell for percentages of revenues. If the revenue is inflated with one visit patients, then you definitely need to be negotiating a much lower price that makes sense for what that practice can produce. Those are just a few things. There's a lot of other variables to look at, but those are just a few things that I would that are top of mind for me. Just another reason we wanted you on this first episode. I, there's so much to unpack there. I think we could have a whole series on a lot of those things, but great information for people that are starting that journey or, or thinking about buying that second one and couldn't agree with you more on the rural practice advice. You, know, you grew up in a small town. I grew up in a small town. Yours, of course, isn't going to be small for long because it's growing so much. But I try to tell Dennis, hey, if you live within an hour and a half of a major airport and you go have a really successful practice in a North Carolina rural town, you can have a great lifestyle. And trusting patients, to your point, the ones that come back, the ones that accept your treatment plan without a tremendous amount of gadgets and wizardry. They trust you and then they'll accept your treatment plan. There's a dentist that you and I know. And he said, I don't need all these screens in every single operatory because if the patient can afford it and I tell them they need it, they get it done. And so I think there's a dynamic there that is untapped and I hope more people will consider that moving forward. So when you're working with clients who are selling a practice, what are some things that you recommend? Number one recommendation, don't cut back your hours. I see that so often, whereas the dentist works closer towards that retirement stage and, and right before, even a year before they're really deciding they're going to sell that practice and starting to market it, they cut back their hours. And all that does is reduce the revenue of the practice. And like we said earlier, in most cases, the, the practice being sold, the price is based on a percentage of revenue. So all you're doing is reducing your sales price by pulling back your hours. It's much better off to actually to work more hours as you're approaching that time frame, so that you can really pump up the value of your practice and to make sure that it looks as good as it can look. It's no different than when you're selling a house. So if, you, if you're going to put your house on the market, you're going to spend a little money on it, spruce it up, and you're going to stage it, if you will. You do the same thing with your practice. You, you need to spruce it up a little bit. You need to make it look good financially. You need to stage it. So I think number one, don't cut back the hours. Number two, talk with your financial advisors. Get a really good understanding of what the net proceeds are going to look like from an after-tax perspective. A lot of dentists see their practice as their primary source of, of retirement. In a lot of cases, once you really peel back that onion and understand what you're taking home after that sale, after taxes, it's not nearly as much as you thought it would be. So really make sure you understand that so that you can make the right decisions on when to sell. And, and of course, if you can focus on bringing in a good associate early on, years before you can sell the practice, and you can have a nice transition with someone that your patients know, that you feel good about, that can represent your legacy after you're no longer in the practice, 
I think that's just the best way to sell a practice. And really, there's a lot of other things we can talk about, whether you need to get an appraiser or all those things. I think there's a lot of folks that inflate the cost of selling a practice by asking you to go out and get things like an appraisal that you may not need. There are some situations where you will need that, but there are a lot of situations where you can come to a really good price getting advice from professionals like yourself, Duncan, at the North Carolina Dental Society, your CPA. There's just a lot of professionals that can help you to determine what that practice is worth. And unless there's a legitimate reason that you need to go out and spend money on large appraisals, things like that, I, I don't know that's always necessary. Now, that's great insight. And that's why we created this podcast, because I think it's important for us to get those kind of messages out there and meet people where they are and while they're look, riding to their car or wherever it is, because otherwise there's a lot of bad advice on the internet, as you and I know. There's a lot of tribal advice from local study clubs and other really great organizations. But what you and I both know, what might be true for one practice transition very easily could not be true for the next. And so you know, I think anything we can do to keep that word out there, keep the good advice out there, keep the recommendations to keep exploring, talking to financial professionals, that's just going to help dentists retain more of their wealth that they've built, but also make the transition go a lot smoother as opposed to a lot of 13th hour back and forth that you and I've both seen have scuttled what could have been some really good transitions. So I really appreciate you sharing those things. And really, thanks again so much, Ben, for joining us. I'd love to potentially have you back sometime because your insights today, which is why we created this podcast, are so valuable. I'd love to thank everybody for listening to this inaugural episode of The Insightful Dentist. Please join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices discussing a wide range of topics that impact the dental profession and healthcare in general. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.